So this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, the reason is, is because if you uh, haven't noticed, um, every Sunday or pretty much every Sunday that I speak, at some point in the sermon, I stop and I say, if you don't hear anything else, this is what I want you to hear. It's kind of formulaic in a sense, but what we've gotten to is to say, this for us marks a Sunday of transition. It marks a transitional period in our church where many people go home. Uh, If your home is somewhere else from here, many people go to jobs. You're graduating and you're never coming back or you're not coming back for a little little while. Even for those of us who live here and who work here, um, you're going to be going to your jobs and going to your places. But especially if you live here and work here, a lot of times this marks a season that we go on vacation. We go to the beach. We go to the lake. We go to wherever we can go to get away for a little while. So for our church, we all kind of take a step back and and take a breath. Um, But on the last Sunday before finals of the spring semester every year, we like to take a step back and say, if you didn't hear anything else, if you have only been coming for a little bit or if you've come here for a long time, in in fact, for you, if you're never coming back, If you, and not like because you hate us, like I hate this church, I'm never coming back. You too, but you can just go ahead and leave. Um, But for for those of you who are graduating and you're never coming back or, you know, we're always going to come back because we don't want to say bye because then I get teary-eyed. But for all of us, if you are moving on to another stage of life, we wanted to take a Sunday every year and say, hey, if you didn't hear anything else, this is what we want you to hear. Because what we know is inevitably true about our city in general is we are a sending city. What I mean by that is lots of people come to our city to go to other places. Lots of people come because of government purposes. Lots of people come because of business and commerce. Lots of people come because of education. And then they go to another place. They go to another step. They go to another job or perhaps another program of study. But we send out a lot of people. And so I thought what would be cool is on our last Sunday here together, for some of you who perhaps this is your last time here at church with us, what would I want you to know? What would we, in light of all the things we've talked about, in light of all the churches in Revelation we've talked about, in light of all the things we talked about, you know, in 2015 and 2016, now for 2017, some of you guys were with us in 2014 when we were a nomadic church. But for those of you who have been here with us, or perhaps it's your first time, what do I want you? To know as you leave. And if you're leaving, but you're leaving is simply going to your job on Capitol Circle tomorrow and you're going to be back here next Sunday. What do I want you to know? In fact, what would God say on the precipice of the next chapter of our lives and of our church? Now, what's fascinating is that Jesus actually did say something to his followers. And a lot of what we read when we see Jesus' last word to his final, fo- or final words to his followers is in Matthew chapter 28 called the Great Commission. Well, in the book of Acts, Acts, a guy named Luke records what Jesus says to his followers as he's about to ascend up into heaven. And in that, we find some extraordinary, valuable things that instruct us on how we are to go forward in Jesus' last piece of advice to basically say, hey, disciples... In case you missed it, in case you didn't hear anything else, this is what I want you to know. Now, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Starts out, Acts 1.1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, as he says this, um, let me give you some context to why this is important. A gentleman named Luke, who is a historian and who is a doctor, very smart, very bright individual. 
at the very beginning of the book of Luke, so he wasn't necessarily creative because he self-titled his book or somebody else self-titled it for him, but as he communicates this book called Luke, he talks to this guy named Theophilus. In Theophilus, he says, I have written, I have interviewed, I have taken eyewitnesses, you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 1, to give you an orderly account of the life of Christ that you may have substance or validity behind your faith and your belief in Jesus. In other words, Luke would say, I've talked, I've interviewed people, I've had discussions with folks, and I have written something to you, Theophilus, because I want you to have an orderly account of the life of Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting about this. When we look at the Bible... We either sometimes say we believe in the Bible or we don't believe in the Bible. That's not a very smart statement, and that's not unintentional. What happens is the Bible isn't actually a book. The Bible is a collection of written-down documents. Some of the documents that were written in antiquity got lost. Some of the documents that were written down um, in the early church didn't basically have the main streamlined thought, but some of the documents made it through, and some of the documents were so universally accepted, so universally true to all the Christians that it made it into what we now have as a New Testament. And one of those accounts is the book of Luke. Well, after the book of Luke, he writes the story of the early church. So if Luke is Jesus, the book of Acts is the early church. Now in that, there's a little bit of crossover, and so Luke stops and says, okay, Theophilus, in the same way I wrote the book of Luke, I'm writing the book of Acts. In the same way I wrote the book of Luke, I want to tell you the story of the early church. And as he launches into the story of the early church, does what, frankly, most of our TV shows do now. Which is that as he starts a new episode, he recaps the end of the last episode. You know, there's this dramatic thing, and the guy leans in, and the girl leans in, and are they going to kiss, or are they just have this weird, awkward lean? What's going to happen? Well, what happens is the, as Luke tells Theophilus, the be, kind of the end of what happened as Jesus was about to ascend and the early church is about to start. So, verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, again, we talked about this on Easter, but this was the kind of the hinge point of the New Testament. Wasn't that Jesus taught, wasn't that his moral, wasn't that, you know, good, wise teacher, smart guy, miracles even. It was that he died. And then he did what no one expected to do after he died, because no one even thought he was going to die. He rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. He said he was going to do it, and then he actually pulled it off. And he didn't just show up once. He showed up a number of different times to a number of different people, a few people to the disciples specifically. He showed up multiple times, so it wasn't like a man. Did we just see Jesus, or were we dehydrated? You know, what happened there? He says, no. showed up a bunch of times over the period of 40 days, 40 hats of significance in the Bible. And he accounts for a couple of the times, a couple of the last times that he showed up. Verse 4. And while staying with them... He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. kind of records a snippet of this last piece of conversation that says, There's going to come a time. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. That you guys deserted, you guys thought I wasn't the Christ, you guys thought I wasn't the Messiah, I rose from the dead, and I'm going to do something in you and through you, but before you go... I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I've got the Holy Spirit that's going to come down on you. It's going to give you power. It's going to give you strength. It's going to turn a bunch of cowards into a group of men and women of faith who would change the ancient world 
and in turn change the modern world. So Luke recounts, starting in verse 6, some details about that conversation. So when they had come together, they asked him, and this is a fascinating question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they thought that Jesus, in his strength and in his power, because of what a number of the prophets had said, was going to restore the nation of Israel to its place of political and military and all kinds of, of, of prominence. They thought educationally, they thought politically, they thought militarily, they thought economically that Israel was going to be restored and they weren't going to be, be basically beaten or defeated or subservient to anyone else, which couldn't be more difficult than what they were going through because they were in the middle of Rome, one of the strongest empires to ever exist. And they look at it, they look at Rome, and they say, Jesus, we know that the prophets said that you're going to restore this place. You know, we're going to be powerful again. We're going to be strong again. We're going to be mighty again. People are going to look at us again as the strong, mighty, powerful ones. Essentially, they were looking for power and might from an external source, saying, Jesus, are you going to reinstall this thing that the prophets talked about? So Jesus responds to them. He said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know Times or seasons that the Father has fixed with his own authority. In other words, it's not for you to know that, but here's what I do want you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, he says, you're not going to get an external sense of power. You're going to get an internal sense of power. You're going to have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to have strength. You're going to have ability. You're going to have self-control. You're going to have wisdom that you didn't have before. You're going to have power. Let me tell you, they were going to need it. Because Jesus, at the longest, had about three years that he spent with these folks, with these fellas specifically. They had 12, one deserted and did some crazy stuff, turned in Jesus and and holding another side story. But now there's 11 left. And Jesus is about to tell them, here's what I want you to do with what you know. I want you to go to the ends of the earth and be my witnesses. I want you to go to the ends of the earth and tell people about me. And I want you to do that, by the way, in an age that's not the modern age, in an age that doesn't have cell phones, internet, and airplanes. I want you to do that. You can't go online on Facebook and post John 3.16 and say, I have just spread the gospel to the nations because someone in China could read my profile. God, your word will not return void. I just pray in Jesus' name that people would get saved because I am such a, just a social media God. This meant what he was about to say is that somebody's going to have to walk. If you're lucky, someone's going to ride a donkey to the edge of the modern world with the level of information. Contextualize this to us. Think about how much you knew about the vocation that you're going to do as a junior in college. Not that if you're a junior, you don't know much because you know a lot. But if you're a junior in college and you want to be a doctor, like you just started to scratch the surface of the scratch-off ticket of what school has for you, you know? You haven't gone into med school. You haven't done rotations. You haven't done residencies. You haven't done enemy clients. There's so much more for you to go through. If you're going through law school, junior, you're about halfway through school at that point. Jesus looks at guys who have only been through three years of essential religious training and said, I want you to go 
and change the world to which they would naturally say what we would naturally say, Jesus, I don't know enough exactly. But you're going to have power to accomplish that. You're going to have strength to accomplish that. Let me pause and say this. You want to know one of our biggest problems as Christians? Is that we acknowledge the power of God but don't live with any power inside of us. We acknowledge that God is powerful. We know conceptually that the spirit of the living God lives and moves and breathes inside of us. But we don't live with that power in our lives. We live as if we have been defeated. We live as if we have no strength, no power, no authority to conquer sin. Even though we could cite the Bible verses that said, I am more than a conqueror. We know that Jesus has won the ultimate victory. He has slain sin. He has slain death. He has overcome that when he overcame the grave. But we live without any power in our life. Like we're victims. Because sometimes the culture is tough. Sometimes the culture doesn't trend towards God. And man, if it was just easier, if we had a better system, if it was just you know, the people around me, if it was just the, my friends around me, or my family around me, my job around me. Let me tell you, for some of you, you're going to go live in some places that are extraordinarily difficult to live out your faith. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of you. You have the power of the resurrected Jesus living inside of you. He looks to his disciples and says, no, 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 you're not going to have the the restoration of the nation. That's not happening at this point, but you're going to have something. You're going to have the power of the living God. You are going to have the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to come on you. And here's what he's going to say. Here's what he says next. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, English teachers or English majors, you're going to track with me on this one. Everybody else is like, what? I'm an accountant. I don't know what that means. Okay, when he says you will be, you will be, the form of that, of that word is what's called the indicative, not the imperative. I sound smart. I Googled it. Promise you. Okay, the indicative is a, is, is a cause and effect type of a relationship. The imperative is a command. Command, Ava, go clean your room. I want you to do this. Indicative, if I run a lot, I will breathe very hard and sweat profusely because I am not a good runner. Okay, that is just the cause and effect. So he says, here's what's going happen this is not an imperative command this is what i would like you to do when you are filled with the holy spirit you will be my witnesses indicative not command cause and effect not a hope and a wish and a dream that as you're filled with the holy spirit no matter what context you're in you will be my witnesses because you have the spirit of the living god you have the power that overcame the grave inside of you He says, and you will be my witnesses. And you're going to be in Jerusalem, which was their city. And in all Judea, which was basically their state. And in Samaria, which was the next state down. By the way, Samaria, which you talk about a place that was difficult. The story of the good Samaritan was so countercultural to them. Because Samaritans were essentially the enemy Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Samaritans didn't talk to Jews. In fact, if you were to look at the geography of how the day was written out, there was Jerusalem, which was a city, Judea, which was a state. There was Samaria that was, written, written, or that was right above that, and then there was Galilee above that. The natural thing is if you're going from Judea to Galilee, you would go through Samaria. They didn't like Samaritans so much, they would walk around the state. That's like you're trying to get to Alabama, and you go around Georgia to hit it. That's ridiculous. That's how much they didn't like. In fact, when Jesus is talking, 
When Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he sends them out in the Gospels, in groups of two, he says, I want you to go all across the place, but I don't want you to go to Samaria because you're not ready for it yet, essentially. He says, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to have to go. You're going to be. This is the natural effect of being filled with the spirit of the living God. And you're going to go. Now, when we read this, oftentimes um, we contextualize it almost in a ministry strategy format. Okay, this is, you know, Tallahassee is my Jerusalem. Florida is my Judea. Samaria is, you know, Alabama because no one likes how they always say roll tide, you know. And then the ends of the earth is where I'm going to go on my mission trip. The ends of the earth is where God might come into. The ends of the earth, the ends of the earth. Now, that's not necessarily a bad strategy, but, but here's the difference. We are the ends of the earth from where the disciples first started. We are the ones who stand on the shoulders of the apostles, of the disciples, of the men and the women of faith who took this calling and ran with it. When we think about an us-centered, a me-centric idea of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, we lose the fact that we aren't simply a group of people who tries to live out our faith where we are, and maybe we'll have a little bit more impact and maybe a little bit farther. We are simply men and women of faith who take the torch from generation after generation after generation of people who have been witnesses for the name of Jesus as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit gave them the power and the authority and the ability to witness to, to proclaim, to be heralds for the gospel. We simply take the torch and run with it until we pass it to the next generation because we're not living forever. For us, the reality is we simply get to participate in being filled with the Spirit of God, being witnesses for Jesus. And if there was ever a question of the power of the Holy Spirit, if there was ever a question, because some of the context, again, you're going to live in, some of the places that you're going to go, uh, kind of like the Dr. Seuss, oh, the places we'll see, or the things we'll see, or the places we'll go, whatever it is. Right now we're on the foot book in our house for Dr. Seuss. But wherever it is that God has you, it might be difficult. I have no clue what highs God has for you. I have no clue what lows you will be drugged through on planet Earth. I have no clue what incredible victories or what crushing defeats that you will face. But here's what I know. We stand here today because there was a group of men and women of faith who stood against the Roman Empire and won. You want to know what's going to happen if you walk into the Roman Colosseum today? As you walk into the place where gladiators fought and where men and women of faith were fed to lions. You want to know what you're going to see as you walk into the Colosseum, if you walked in this afternoon or if you were going on a trip to the summer. You know what you're going to see? You are going to see a cross for a nation that hated, despised, lit on fire, and fed to the lions. There was a faith so strong 
so filled with the Holy Spirit that today in the Roman Colosseum stands a cross for the symbol of a Jewish carpenter of no big standing, of no big substance, who talked to a bunch of people, not really a bunch of people, about 11 dudes on this Mount of Olive right before he ascended up into heaven who were ordinary guys. They were fishermen. They were the dudes, you know, kind of fishing for oysters down in Apalachicola. And Jesus, who's the carpenter, who's their best friend, who's also perhaps a redneck for their day, talks to him and says, and you're going to be my witnesses. And by the way, no one's going to remember the name of the president who exists right now except for the fact of what you're going to do. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power lives inside of you. That strength for the early church, that as they stood against the nation of Rome, spread like wildfire, lives inside of you. I do not know what your context holds, but I know that you have the power of the living God who overcame the grave, and you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a victor. And don't you dare think that you are a victim of where you live and how difficult life is for you. Because it might be extraordinarily difficult. But men and women of faith for generations have stood in the face of difficulty. He continues on and says it like this. And to the ends of the earth as he finishes. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, and as he went, behold, two men stood. So as he's really still still going up, two men stood stood beside them in white robes. A lot of people will describe them as angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, this is probably the silliest question in, in the Bible. Because it's like, you see Jesus just like David Blaine up to heaven. You know, he just like levitates and is going. It's like, okay, so he's going, okay, where's the wires? You know, they're kind of doing this whole thing. And they're looking up. And they're saying, what in the, you know, we don't even know. Now, I just want you to imagine this. You think he's about to restore the nature. And he just levitates up into heaven, gets taken up in a cloud. And you're just like, like, what do you say in that like? Y'all hungry? You know, like, like, so they're looking up into heaven, and this, these angels kind of stand next to him, say, hey, what are you guys looking at? It's like, we're looking at Jesus who just ascended into heaven. Like, that's kind of a big deal. And what's funny is their response to, or their angel response to them is really, really simple. This is what he says. He said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, and he will come in the same way as you saw him in, into heaven. Verse 12, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. In other words, the angels look at him and said, hey, what are y'all waiting for? What are you waiting for? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. He's gone. He's going to come back someday for sure. But don't stand here looking around, wasting time. He has given you something to do, so go be obedient to that. He has told you to go to Jerusalem, so go be obedient to that. He has told you to go there to wait that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, so go be obedient to that. Don't stand here looking, waiting for something miraculous to happen. You see, we waste so much time when we do anything in any any kind of transition. We go into summer, and all of a sudden we've got time, and it's like, man, I have not read my Bible in weeks. I haven't talked to anybody about Jesus in months or a month, you know. What have you been doing? Dude, this show on Netflix, 13 Reasons. I just watched it in a day, you know. Oh, my gosh. Or we go, and this this is a little bit more probably compelling, perhaps convicting. I know, folks, that they've had a mission trip coming up, month long mission trip, maybe. And spent four months headed towards that mission trip talking, man, when I go on this mission trip, man, when I go on this mission trip, man, when I go on this mission trip. And then they went on the mission trip for a month. 
And then the four months after, man, my mission trip, my mission trip, man, my mission trip. You just had nine months of ministry and used one of them. The disciples are looking up to heaven and to the ascended king of glory going to sit on his throne. And the angels say, stop wasting time. Y'all are being ridiculous. God has given you something to do. Go be obedient to that. Let me tell you, God has given you something to do with wherever he's called you to do. So go be obedient to that. If you don't know, let me tell you, on a bare minimum, God has called you to, to be obedient to him in, in that you would get connected into a local church. God has called you to be obedient in that you would be connected into a community of believers that you're meeting with regularly. The Bible says specifically, do not forsake the fellowship or the gathering of the believers together. God has called you to be in communion with him. He has called you to enter into him with him daily through prayer and through the word. God has called you to serve your place, serve people in some way, shape, or form in capacity. God has called you to something. But what happens for many of us is we waste time, we waste our lives waiting for this miraculous calling that Jesus is going to plop down on us. Let me tell you, whatever God has for you next, I have no clue where that's going to lead you. Whether that's for you who, are, who, who live and work in Tallahassee, whether that's as you go to Jacksonville or Virginia or Tampa, whether that's whether you go to Somalia, whether that's whether you go to Africa, whether that's whether you go to China, whether you're going to South Korea. Shoot, if you went to North Korea, crazy. But let me just tell you, you can stand for Jesus. And here's the thing. Don't you dare waste your life waiting Don't you dare waste your ministry waiting. You have been given the power of the Holy Spirit living and moving and breathing inside of you. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. God saw our sinfulness and did not hold that against us. God saw our rebellion, not us collective, me individually. He saw my rebellion. And did not hold that against me, but sent his one and only son to planet earth in recordable time, in recordable history, with multiple accounts of it. Performed extraordinary miracles, taught extraordinary things, and died. And no one thought he was God. Until he rose from the dead and it changed the modern world. It changed the ancient world. It would be the same group of people who deserted him. Said they don't know him. Who a few days later would change the world for him, would stand against the entire nation of Rome in defiance and say, I know that you think that Caesar is God, but we don't think there is any other God except for Jesus. And we think that he is the only way, the only truth, he is the only life, and the only way to get to the God the Father is through him. That he died for the forgiveness of our sins. That square on the shoulders of Jesus was the judgment and the condemnation that you and I should have gotten and should have had to face. And if we place our faith our hope and our trust in what happened for us on the cross. And not simply what happened on the cross, but the power that overcame that as he rose from the dead. That not only do you and I have the forgiveness of sins, which is extraordinary in and of itself, inexplicable in and of itself, 
But that means you now have the spirit of the living God inside of you. And don't you dare waste that. Don't you dare waste your life building something that doesn't matter. Don't you dare go to it from city to city and you had an education and you have a vocation and you're going to make some money and you're going to have a good family and you're going to do a bunch of good things and none of that stuff is bad in and of itself. But you're going to have a choice whether you are going to spend the rest of your days building your own kingdom or the kingdom of God. And don't you dare get to heaven as a Christian and realize you spent your entire life building your own kingdom, building your own name, building your own comfort to get to the gates of heaven and realize there is only one name that will reverberate through the corridors of heaven through the rest of eternity, and that is the name of Jesus. And you have that spirit inside of you. Wherever God takes you, wherever life takes you, whatever city, whatever context, no matter how difficult... No matter the victories and the mountaintops that you experience in life, the things that you get to experience that you thought you never would have experienced, the crushing defeats where you don't know how you're going to take your next step, don't you dare waste your life because you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. You are more than a conqueror. You will be his witness as you are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're leaving... I don't know if I'll ever see it again. I hope so. But I would love, who knows what heaven's going to be like? Who knows if we're going to have a conversation? Who knows if we're going to be able to look back and laugh and talk about the old times when we were on planet Earth or whatever. But I would love if we got to heaven and we had a conversation. And we could both look back at the way that God used and worked and moved. That we would get to heaven. Having fully leveraged our life. Because God has called you, probably, into a job. He has called you to a vocation. He has called you to work hard. He has told, called you to do extraordinary things. But he has called you to do that. And to leverage that. For his glory. Because his name will be the only thing that lasts. And you have the power of a conqueror. You have the power of a victor. You have, don't have a, a, the power or the spirit of timidity. But a power of discipline. You have the power that rose Jesus from the grave. That stood against the Roman Empire. And the fact that we, a few thousand years later, sit in a little A-frame building in Tallahassee, Florida, means that men and women in every single generation, women and men in every single generation, being filled with the Holy Spirit, have been witnesses to the name of Jesus. And we simply stand on their backs. And if you ever doubt the power of the Holy Spirit, you just remember, right now in Rome, in the Roman Colosseum, stands a cross that bears witness to the power that conquered the grave that lives inside of you. Don't you dare waste your life because you are too valuable and too precious. You are too gifted. You are too smart. And you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God.
And you can do and become everything that God created you to be, regardless of how difficult the context, the lows of life, or the highs of life. Because you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that you gave us your one and only son. That whoever believes, whoever puts their faith, whoever puts their hope, their trust for the forgiveness of our sins in you, Jesus, has everlasting life. And God, we know and we believe that as we give our life to you, it's not simply a salvific transaction, but you give us your spirit that moves inside of us, that brings us from death to life, a heart of stone being made a heart of flesh. You have given us everything that we need for a godly life in you. Jesus, would you create in us, would you create in our church, would you create in our midst a spirit of strength, a spirit of power, a spirit of courage, a spirit that conquered the grave, that stood against Rome, and that could stand in any city, in any job, in any context where you put us in life, no matter how great life gets or how difficult life gets, no matter how wonderful it gets or how crushing the defeats, the things that we never would have saw coming, and we don't know if we can take the next breath, would, we, would you simply remind us, whether that's a month from now, 10 months from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, would you simply remind us, that we have the power that overcame the grave and stood in the face of Rome. And today there stands a cross in the Roman Colosseum as a testimony to how powerful God you are. That a Jewish carpenter and some rejects could change the world. God, I pray that we would live with a spirit of power. That we will be your witnesses as you give us the power and the strength and the ability to. Whether we see each other again, whether we see each other next week, or we see each other in eternity, God, that our lives would be leveraged for you and for your glory to witness to you, Jesus, the only name that matters. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.